at different psalms. And our theme is, is growing a heart for God, because that's what the psalms do. As, as we study the psalms and, and think about them, um, they shape our hearts. They, they grow in us a heart that is for the Lord. They are incredibly affective. They're incredibly emotional. Um, and we've looked at a different psalm each week. And uh, we've seen how, how beautifully honest they are and how... Um, Brutally honest they are. Um, I, I, was, I was just, my boss was in town just yesterday, and he was asked me, what, what stood out to you most um, about preaching the Psalms? And I, I said, you know, that just how honest they are. Um, I'm struck week after week at, um, at their beautiful honesty. It makes me feel okay to be me uh, when I read the Psalms. Um, they meet us where we are. Where, where we are. They don't ask us um, to be dishonest or fake about what we're feeling or thinking. Maybe that's been your experience with a church or with Christianity. Uh, that's not the way the Bible is. That's not the way the Psalms are. They don't ask us to pretend. They actually invite us to approach God honestly. And then they take us where we need to go. They, they bring us before the Lord with our emotions and our experiences. So tonight we see that the psalmist is delighting. Is delighting. So we're going to look at the delighting heart tonight. So uh, let me pray for us and we'll jump in. Uh, Father, again, thank you for your word. Um, it is amazing. Thank you for its honesty. Thank you that... Um, uh, it names our feelings and our experiences in this world and in, in these bodies and in relationships uh, like nothing else can. Uh, I pray you'd meet us in that and you would um, give us your grace, give us your spirit to know more of you tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, all right, so this past Christmas was a big deal for us. Uh, some of y'all know this. This is the first time we, we got to wake up on Christmas morning in our own home here in Lexington. Uh, usually we're traveling, so we're at a relative's house. So it was really great to be in our own house on Christmas morning. Um, this meant that Santa <clears throat> came to visit our house this year here uh, in Lexington, um, in which my kids got really into the logistics because we don't have a functioning chimney. Like, how does that work? <laughs> It's Santa. It just works. Um, but I felt like it was a rite of passage, right, for, for us as parents to partner uh, with Santa um, in getting our living room ready um, for my girls to walk downstairs and see these piles of gifts for them on Christmas morning. Um, it's safe to say that I, along with every other parent, has crushing expectations for how delighted my kids would be in the morning when they saw all their presents. Like, there's no way they can meet my expectation. Um, and, and a side note with my kids in particular, uh, mornings can be a little dicey in our home. Uh, they don't always love waking up and like, you know, doing life first thing uh, in the day. So, so they can be a little cranky. So it was a bit of a gamble, but nonetheless, I was expecting great things. Um, one of the highlight gifts were, were the scooters that have been featured weekly. Are you? <laughs> uh, uh, and so on Christmas morning, the scooters were out of the box. They were all set up. Uh, surrounded by wrapped boxes, by their stockings overflowing. It was this beautiful scene. Uh, and sure enough, um, the girls walked down the stairs, they turned the corner, and their eyes lit up. And they had these sweet smiles. They were grinning ear to ear. They had these sweet, like, tired eyes and messed up hair. Um, and they saw this pile of presents for each of them. They were especially surprised by the scooters because they didn't know they were getting those. They were so delighted. They were so delighted. It was pure delight. This pile of presents was the key to happiness in that moment. This was the thing they were longing for, and it was right there in front of them. They were delighting in these presents. Um, Thomas and I took a, a quick trip up to St. Louis over spring break, over the first weekend, and, um, and, and we discovered what I think is 
the greatest donut shop in the country. Like, I think it might be the greatest, maybe the world? I don't know. Uh, I'd have to do some more research. But it's called Vincent Van Donuts. Um, and maybe you saw pictures on Facebook. Uh, but, the, but the first morning we were there, I was starving. And we walked in, and I laid my eyes on the most beautiful maple bacon donut. Like, not like cheap strips of bacon, like quality pieces of bacon that was squared um, a wonderful donut, wonderful maple icing. And it was like instantly the object of my delight. In that moment, this maple bacon donut was key to my happiness. So what is it for you? What, what do you delight in? What brings you delight? Think about this past week. Um, what did you set your eyes on this past week? What did you set your heart on that delighted you? Um, that, that promised you happiness in that moment? Uh, that, that was exactly what you needed in that moment. Um, we are delighting creatures. We are, we are made uh, to delight. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, um, Genesis 1 and 2, before sin entered the world, our delight was perfectly in the Lord and in His creation. Um, and and, and what, we, what Adam and Eve understood, what we uh, um, as humans understood there, uh, was um, that when we delight in creation, we're actually delighting in the Lord. And, and they weren't tempted to elevate our delight in created things greater than their delight in the Lord. Because as they delighted in creation, always led to perfect delight in the Lord. But because of our rebellion against the Lord, we misplace our delight now. Uh, we set our gaze on created things more than our delight in the Lord. This could be called idolatry, which we talked about recently. Um, looking at, to anything uh, for our happiness and satisfaction more than we look to God. So what do you look to for happiness and satisfaction more than you look to God? For that, that would be called idolatry. Um, and I think we do this because we think that the Lord is not enough. We think He's not enough. Or maybe it's because these other created things around us seem more immediately tangible. They're like they're right in front of us. There's this great quote from C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory when he's talking about our desires, our delights. He says, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the, and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. We delight in lesser things than the Lord. This psalm tonight, Psalm 119, it meets us in our lesser delights, and it refocuses them on delighting in the Lord as He's found in the Bible. As he's found in His Word. This psalm is long. It has 176 verses. Um, and we're going to look at each one of those and talk about them in detail. I'm just kidding. We're not going to look at each one of those. Um, uh, but you should do that. You should like read through this psalm this week. Um, it's 176 verses of celebrating in and delighting in the Word of God. So I just want to talk about, as you can see in your hand, of the object of our delight and the way we delight. So first, the object of our delight. So this psalm is called an acrostic psalm. And what it does is it uses each letter of the Hebrew alphabet uh, to celebrate and lift up the Word of God. And it goes through and it does it. So throughout the psalm, uh, the psalmist 
uses the following terms to reference the Bible. He's talking about the Bible here when he says, uh, when he says law or revelation or testimonies or precepts or statutes or commands or ordinances, word, promise. All those are referring to Scripture. Right? He didn't have the full canon like we do now, but what he had at the time, that's what he's referring to. So as we read this, it is delighting in the Word of God. Um, so the question you have to ask as you, as you think about this, what is the object of the psalmist's delight? Um, and and, and uh, what is given to us and, and encouraged for us to, to, to be the object of our delight? Is he delighting in the Bible? Or is he delighting in God himself? Because that can be confusing, right? Uh, the repeated refrain of delight in the Word of God can confuse us as to like what we should be delighting in. God's Word or God Himself? Which is it? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Uh, commentator Derek Kidner helps us here. He says, Every reference here in Psalm 119, every reference here to Scripture, without exception, relates it explicitly to its author. He says, This is true piety. A love for God... Um, not uh, oh sorry I read this one desiccated um, separated uh, by study but refreshed informed and nourished by it Uh, so what he's saying there is um, to delight in God's word is to delight in God himself Uh, and as we study God's word our delight in God our delight in the author of his word grows Think about it this way. Um, my delight in and love for my wife, Erin, uh, is not separate from her words. Uh, her words, what she says to me, how we interact, and her are inseparable, right? Like it's just, That's just part of who she is. Um, her, her words to me are who she is, and these things are held together. So you can't really separate them. Uh, that's, what's, that's what's going on here. Um, and I just want to highlight, as the object of our delight, the Scriptures, how the psalmist refers to them. Uh, I want you just to go there and, and to be enamored um, with how the Scriptures are talked about. And then the second thing I want to talk about is uh, how do we get there? How do we develop that sort of delight in us? Uh, so throughout these 176 verses, the psalmist celebrates the Word of God as righteous. Uh, he calls it righteous. It's this good thing, right? This path to flourishing. It's the life we were created for. It's holy. It's good. It's according to God's standards. The Bible, the Word of God is righteous. He also talks about it as dependable. It's not just righteous, it's dependable. Um, The psalmist is celebrating that it's dependable, that that, that it can be trusted, that it can be counted on, that it won't lead him astray. That um, you, you you can take a bullet for what it says. It's dependable. It's righteous, it's dependable. He says it's unshakable. Um, This is a great way to think about it, right? Uh, The Bible isn't going anywhere. Um, There's not going to be any, you don't have to worry about this, right? No new discovery in the world is going to prove that the scriptures are wrong or faulty. It's unshakable. The Bible is unshakable. It's righteous, it's dependable, it's unshakable. It's inexhaustible. The scriptures are inexhaustible. Have y'all thought about that? That we'll never master the scriptures. Um, We will be mining their depths until we meet the Lord face to face in glory. Um, I am by no means a scholar of the Bible. Um, It is a major part of my job. I read it a lot. I study a lot. I've been to seminary. I've gotten a master's degree studying it. Um, I study it weekly to teach. I read it daily, devotionally. Um, But 
and, uh, and I'm barely scratching the surface compared to scholars of the Bible out there. That's why I quote people when I preach. <laughs> um, but, uh, y'all, daily when I read the Scriptures, I feel how inexhaustible they are, how, um, how the Spirit uh, uses them to hit me in new and fresh ways and to understand the depths more and more. And guess what? That's going to happen the rest of my life. They're inexhaustible. The righteous are dependable. They're unshakable. They're inexhaustible. And the psalmist also celebrates the benefits of the Word of God. So his delight also is in the benefits of what the Word of God uh, does for us. And these are summaries that largely come from Derek Kidner in his commentary on this. Because again, this is a really long psalm. So these are themes you see throughout these 176 verses. But he says that the Bible gives us liberation. Liberation. And in it we find how we're actually freed from the slavery from the dominion of our sin. If you've been going to the Romans Bible study, then you've, you've seen that, right? As Paul talks about in Romans. Uh, about how what Jesus has done on our behalf. We, we find also like how we're freed unto flourishing as we live out God's Word, right? We're freed into this new way of life that is not more burdensome, but it is, it's liberating. It's freeing to have our sins forgiven and to be called into this new life. The Bible gives us liberation. The Bible gives us light, the Bible gives us light. Uh, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Imagine hiking a dark trail to go see a sunrise, for instance. Um, how important is a flashlight? It's huge, right? You know where you're going. That's what the Bible does. It, it helps us to know where we're going. It shines light into our darkness and, and leads us. Uh, the Bible gives us life. It gives us life, both um, obedience as the path to life and, and asking for life in order to obey faithfully. It, it's, it's utter dependence upon God, this life given to us. It's vitality that's only found in, in dependence on the Lord. Life as it was meant to be lived is found in the Scriptures. The Bible gives us stability. It's our foundation. How much do you all long for something that like, can hold you? It's stable. The Bible does that. It's our foundation. It's the truth that we base our lives and everything on. It stabilizes us. These are just some of the benefits that the psalmist celebrates throughout this psalm uh, and that he's delighting in, uh, in the Word of God. Um, The Word of God is the object of our delight. It's the path to delighting in God Himself. I recently saw the movie The Martian. Um, Partial spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. It's been a few months, so... Sorry about you. Uh, Mark Watney, I believe is his name, played by Matt Damon, uh, is an astronaut on a manned mission to Mars. This is a true story, obviously. Um, he and his crew um, encounter trouble while on Mars. How many people have seen this movie, by the way? Just out of curiosity. Okay, so a good portion now. All right, sorry about the other half of you. Um, <laughs> he and his crew encounter trouble while they're on Mars during the storm. And essentially, they think that Mark, uh, Matt Damon's character, has been killed. Uh, so they have to take off in order to save their lives, and they leave them on Mars and begin their long journey back to Earth, which takes like nine years or nine months or something. A long time. Like nine, months. nine months. Okay. I don't do space. Um, but there, yeah, and you do very much. Um, they're devastated, right? Because they have to leave their friend um, behind because they think that he died. Well, he didn't die. Um, he wakes up from the storm and, and his injuries, and he's all alone on Mars. And the rest of the movie recounts the process of the attempt to rescue him and his attempted survival on Mars. That's what the bulk 
of the movie is about. And during the first days on Mars, he's so desperate to get word from Earth. Like, he has to find a way to communicate um, with, the, with, the, uh, with Earth, right? Um, to let them know he's still alive, if he has any chance of being rescued. Uh, particularly, he needs to communicate with this guy named Vincent Kapoor, who's the head of the Mars missions. Um, and so he can tell Vincent that he's still alive. After some brilliant maneuvering and, like, science-ing... Um, <laughs> Mark uh, connects with Vincent over this messaging system in the rover. Um, and it's this wonderful scene. He's sending this little Mars rover. And as Vincent's words come across this messaging system and Mark reads them, he immediately gets visibly emotional. He gets choked up. Um, he's in disbelief that headquarters has actually found a way to speak to him. He's received word uh, from the one place that has a chance to save him from his dire situation. These are words of salvation that bring him unbelievable delight, so much so that he's brought to tears. Y'all, the Bible for Christians is the word of salvation. And it's a direct communication from the only one who can save us from our dire situation that's been created by our sin. And this should strike us as amazing, as unbelievable that God would, would speak to us and offer to us the way of salvation, the way to know Him, and the way to live with Him in His Word. And this is where our delight is found, in His Word. It's His Word of salvation to us. That's the object of our delight. How do we foster this kind of delight? Hopefully that paints enough of a picture, enough of a teaser, um, to get you longing to delight in Scripture that way. Right? And, and maybe if you're a Christian or if you grew up in a church, you're thinking, yeah, like I know like I'm supposed to delight in the Bible. Um, but maybe you've been around the Bible so much you feel a little numb to it and you just, it's, you just don't see how you can delight in it. Or maybe um, the Bible is new to you and it seems so overwhelming and it seems like a very odd way of thinking about it, to think about delighting in Scripture. Um, what is this way of delight? How do we delight? Um, it's interesting, if you read this psalm, uh, looking at it, well, how, how does the psalmist model for us how he delights in God's Word? I just scanned like the first 40 verses of the 176 verses. And, and this is how the psalmist engages with the Word of God. Uh, he walks in it. He keeps it. He seeks God in it. Excuse me, he fixes his eyes upon it. He praises God through it. He studies it. He learns it. He guards his life with it. He stores it up in his heart. Um, he shares it with others. He meditates on it. He remembers it. He seeks to find life from it. He seeks understanding in it. He's strengthened by it. He clings to it. He runs towards it. He follows it. That's just after 40 verses. Um, I, I just want to essentially stop here tonight. I want to give you all... Three, th- three practical things to think about. Um, tangible things you can get your heads around to, to, to foster this kind of delight in the Word of God. So I'm going to give you three things. So first is this, um, to study the Bible. I know this sounds really simple, uh, but, but it's what he is describing in this psalm. Um, look, from my delight in Aaron and my love for my wife Aaron to grow... I need to be on a continual quest to know everything I can about her, uh, to learn her heart, her longings, her fears, her story, 
And, and my delight in her grows as I listen to her and as I learn these things about her. Y'all, the same is true with the Lord. Uh, read the Bible individually. Study it individually. Study it in a small group Bible study. Hear the Word of God preached in a local church. Become a student of the Bible. Um, grow hungry for it. Feast on the Scriptures. Think about it as a, as a feast. And, and, and as you become a student of it, you'll actually grow uh, a delight for God in His Word. Uh, and if you're having trouble getting there, one theologian said, read until your heart catches fire. Read until your heart catches fire. So the first thing I'll tell you is study the Bible. The second thing I'll tell you is really important. It's to submit to the Bible. For you to submit to the Bible. Um, proper study of the Bible will always lead you to submit your life to the Bible and to God's lordship over you. Um, study of the Bible that remains in your head and does not impact your heart is not real study. Proper study of the Bible is, will inevitably move from your head to your heart and out into your life. Um, do, you, do you willingly, even joyfully, submit yourself to the Bible? Do you read it longing to be corrected? Longing for structure of how to do life? Reading it, studying it, asking it what this means for life, rather than reading it from a place of critique? Do you submit to the Bible? How do you delight in God's Word? Study the Bible, submit to the Bible. And the third thing I'll tell you is remember the central story of the Bible. Remember the central story of the Bible. The central story of the Bible is a story of a God who loves you so much, who takes such great delight in you uh, that He sent His Son to come after you and rescue you. Um, it's a love story. It's a rescue story. It's a story of a father running after his rebel children to bring them back to himself. That's the central story of the Bible. And if you miss the central story of the Bible, the central message of the good news of what Jesus came to do, then, you'll, then you will never truly delight in the Lord. Our delight in the Lord and in His Word is based upon grasping the fact that He delights in us. He delights in us. God delights in you. Now, I forget this a lot. I forget this a lot. I have to remind myself daily of God's Delight in me, or my shame is going to get the best of me. I've got to remind myself daily of this. Uh, I have the reference uh, for this verse, Zephaniah 3.17, engraved on the inside of my wedding ring, um, so that I'm constantly reminded of this. Um, listen to what Zephaniah tells us about God's delight in us. This is Zephaniah 3.17. It's one of the minor prophets. Um, you should look this up later. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God's delight in you is so great uh, that He rejoices over you in gladness. You make Him glad. You make God glad. So glad that He sings over you. God sings over you. Do you believe that this is true? Um, because He proved this to be true by sending Jesus His Son to die on the cross for your sake. I mean, his delight in you, His singing over you, His gladness with you is shown, is proven in the death and resurrection of Christ. He delights in you. Each night when I put my kids to bed, um, I get right in their face 
Um, I make them look at me in my eyes. I put my hands on the sides of their face. I tell them to listen to me. And I say the same few sentences to them that declare how they're loved, which I won't tell you the full thing because it's like this really intimate, wonderful thing that I have with them. But one of the things I tell them, I say, Caroline, Margaret, I delight in you. I delight in you, not because of what you do, but because of who you are. You're my daughter, and I love you. Uh, My delight in my girls is not based on how good or how bad they were that day, but on their status as my daughter. That's why I delight in them. This is how the Father loves us and delights in us. Not because of what we do. Not because of how good or bad you were on spring break. Not because of how good or bad you've been today. But because of who you are in Christ as a son or a daughter of His. In Christ, you're never going to lose the delight of the Father. And remembering this will actually grow your delight for Him in His Word. Study the Bible. Submit to the Bible. And don't forget the central story of the Bible. This weekend is Easter weekend where we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. Um, May this be a weekend of delighting for you, of delighting in what God has done for you as you remember how he delights you.